Hello, and welcome back to the EV Life podcast. I'm your host, Crystal Maharaj, and I'm joined again by our producer, Allison Bench. Hello, happy to be here as always. <laughs> so glad to have you here joining me. So we have a great episode today on charging. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a, such a... I feel like I say this about every episode, <laughs> but there's just so many. But this is a very... I feel like every person who is considering an EV the first thing that they're thinking of is where am I going to charge? How am I yeah. going to charge? How how does this work? And it's a great question to have, right? Because essentially it's how you fuel up your vehicle. When you buy an ICE vehicle, you know you just go to the gas station. But with EVs, there are just, I think, more questions because it's, it's newer. Mm-hmm. And yeah, there isn't necessarily a charging station everywhere right now. So I think it's definitely a fitting question for people to have. And that's why we wanted to do an episode. And so we'll be talking to ATCO, specifically uh, William York, who is a senior engineer at ATCO. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think we're going to touch on a few different things with ATCO in this interview. We're going to uh, chat about what the company is doing to get more charges out there and how they're working to kind of help consumers and make sure that the grid will be able to take as more people are charging. Another like big question that people have, right? Uh, Can our power grid support mass adoption of EVs? And so we kind of just ask them for their thoughts on that and yeah, how they're delivering services to consumers who are considering or already own EVs. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because that's the thing. It's like, a lot of these organizations that deliver this kind of service, like the electric kind of side of it, have already been thinking about this for yeah. for many years. And so it's very interesting to just hear about how they're preparing for this and and how we're going to be ready to go, I think, yeah. or hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then we'll be joined by John Epler. And why did we talk to John? Yeah, I found I feel like he was just like an ideal kind of average EV Albertan user because he bought an EV and didn't have a home charger. I think most people who are eyeing an EV don't have a home charger set up already. Right. And so then he drove his EV without a home charger for some time. And so, and then he did eventually get one installed. And so he can speak to how it was when he had an EV with no home charger and how it was once he got the charger right. installed and kind of also talk about the process of getting it installed and how that went. And so yeah. it's, it's, he's has firsthand experience uh, with what, a lot of people are, if they're thinking about EVs, are going to go through. Yeah, because, you know, we've also heard EV owners who said that they do not have an at-home charger and that's been perfectly fine for them. And then, you know, there are those that have the charger and and swear by it. So it's really um, interesting to get the perspective of someone who experienced both. Mm -hmm. And yeah, hopefully that information is useful for those of you considering buying an EV and you may not know whether or not you want to install an at-home charger. So we have two great interviews for you in this episode, and we let's just d- dive into our first one again with William York from ATCO, the senior engineer there, and he'll be sharing a little bit about what ATCO is doing to bring charging services to consumers and also addressing some big concerns that we've heard. Hi, 
Hi, Will. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Uh, so my first question, um, you are coming to us as an expert from ADCO. So can you tell us a little bit about ADCO and kind of specifically how the company is contributing to the electrification of transportation here in Alberta? Yeah, so ACO is a, a, a global company. Um, we're headquartered in Alberta and we were um, started in Alberta. And we provide a diverse set of essential services um, from natural gas and electric utilities to modular workforce housing and, uh, and office trailers and much more. Um, we started our EV journey in 2017. If you recall, around then was the uh, downturn in the economy in Alberta, and ACO was looking for ways to strategically diversify um, our portfolio. So we looked at electrification of transportation as one of those strategic pillars of diversification. We started off with um, the electrification of Highway 2. So we partnered with a company called Flow and Canadian Tire to put in three fast charging stations along Highway 2. Uh, one in Sherwood Park, one in Red Deer, and one in Calgary. We used that experience to win the Peace to Prairies project, which was a competitive bid that was put out to market, and ACO was the successful bidder. And that had us installing 20 DC fast charging stations all over southern Alberta. And at the same time, we also um, struck a project with the city of Edmonton and Flow again, um, in, in Edmonton, in the downtown core, installing curbside level two charging stations. And so we've been in the electrification of transportation game since, since then. And we, um, we have many more projects coming. And so I, I actually have kind of a follow-up question for that question. Is this so, like, how far down the line is ADCO looking? Like, are you planning 10 years, 20 years? Like when you think of, you know, there's more coming, how far down the line does that mean? You know, we're definitely looking at what the needs of the marketplace will be in public fast charging. Right now, you see deployments in the range of four to six stalls. And when I see that, I really kind of see that as a not what the market needs into the future. You know, five, 10 years into the future, you're going to need sites with many, many more stalls. So I, I, th I think that we're kind of looking 10 years into the future, but certainly, you know, if we, if we put our utility hat on, you know, we need to look 40 years out into the future. That's kind of how, how far ahead we look when we put an asset into the ground. We say that, you know, these wires, these transformers are going to last for 40 years. So that's kind of the mindset that we take when we, uh, when we talk about the utility side of our business. And you kind of uh, talked a little bit about this, you know, installing tar chargers in downtown areas, but can you talk a little bit more about what services ADCO is offering for the consumers, like EV owners, as opposed to kind of like cities and, and municipalities? Because we're such a diverse company with so many companies within the ADCO umbrella, um, I can only talk about a few of them just due to um, various regulations and uh, and acts that ACO is a, is a part of. So as a, an electric utility, as a regulated utility, um, when our customers come to us, our electricity customers come to us and ask about uh, installing a home charger in their home, we can, you know, give them advice. We can um, walk them through the connection process. Um, but we don't really offer services there. We're more so like your wires provider. And so we're your, your source of information, your source of knowledge for uh, stepping through that process. Um, where I work on the non-regulated side of things, um, that's where you get into the public charger installations. So the Peaks to Prairies I talked about, the curbside installations I talked about. We also can do uh, commercial installations for fleets. 
So if you're a business in, in Alberta and you're looking to electrify your fleet, we can help guide you through that process. We can um, help you evaluate the electrification potential of your fleet. We can help you understand what your facility's capacity is for the electricity that's needed to recharge that fleet. And, um, and then we can install those charging stations and set them up for you. There is a, uh, a company that's very adjacent to ACO. It's owned by ACO called Rumi, and they do home installation services um, of a variety of home installation services, including the installation of a EV charging station for residential. And so, you know, you, you said that ACO is, is kind of there and helps support people as they go through this process. Is that kind of a growing segment? I assume yes, just because more and more people, if you look at the numbers every year, more Albertans, but is that something the company is like a, having to grow or, you know, add more support to? You know, before I was in this role, I worked f- directly for the regulated utility. And I can say that there were a lot, I was starting to notice a lot more uh, customer inquiries about, hey, do I need to upgrade my electrical panel or can you give me a quote for upgrading my electrical panel? So there definitely is a growing interest, even in our service territory, which is uh, mostly northern, mostly mostly very rural. Um, you know, we have some pockets of service territory in the central east and in the southeast, but it's predominantly northern Alberta and it's predominantly rural. So I was surprised to see that because, you know, when you think electric vehicles, you mainly think Edmonton and Calgary and densely populated urban centers. But um, yeah, there's a bit of there's a bit of interest up there, too. So we have also heard from EV owners that each charging network or each company has its own process for when you're using those chargers. So can we hear a little bit about how Atco's network of chargers is accessed? Like, is there an app or maybe just tell us a little bit about that process? Yeah, you bet. Um, so we partnered with a company called Flow, which is Canadian based for our charging uh, deployment so far. And, you know, it's really easy with them. You either have the mobile app or you order an RFID card from them. And and then you can use either to initiate a charging session with Flow. And what's great about um, Flow's app, and um, you, you have picked up on a, a minor annoyance being an EV owner. You know, I, I didn't mention this before, but I am an EV owner. I have about 104,000 kilometers uh, driven in an electric vehicle. And it, it even annoys me too. You know, the, the yet another app problem is what I call it. Um, but EV charging companies, network operators are, they're, they're essentially signing roaming agreements with each other. So, um, flow has a roaming agreement with charge point and with, uh, shell recharge and shell recharge is a very big provider of network operation services. The AMA chargers out in front of this building are uh, Shell Recharge. And I I checked before um, we started this podcast, I was able to uh, start a charging session with the Flow app on one of your Shell Recharge charging stations. So the roaming agreements have really started to smooth that out. Looking into the future, there's um, some exciting things coming. Um, Credit card uh, reader Availability at charging stations is becoming more common, so you don't even need an app. You can just tar- charge um, by tapping your credit card on the ch- charging station or using NFC on your phone, like Apple Pay or Google Wallet. And then ISO 15118 is coming out, which is the plug-in charge standard, which is kind of like the Tesla uh, model of starting and in- initiating a charging session. You just uh, essentially plug in the electric vehicle, and the remittance occurs between the vehicle and the charging station without you getting in between. So you just plug and it starts charging. 
And so this is another kind of hot topic that uh, we've learned <laughs> as we talk to more and more people, but a huge concern that, and I, I think a lot of people who are maybe considering EVs or who are EV skeptics, yeah. this is kind of their, one of their things they bring up as a, as a worry is kind of if it, there's mass adoption of EVs in Alberta, how is that going to affect our province's power grid? And is ADCO kind of doing anything or planning anything uh, looking forward if there is this big explosion? Yeah, this is this is something that the uh, the regulated electric business gets a lot of questions about and a lot of concerns about from customers. And so we, we looked into it. So the first thing we did was we commissioned a study to help us understand the adoption potential in our service territory. So um, for that, we, we, lo- we looked into, you know, how many vehicles are there? What's the composition of those vehicles? Are they light duty? Are they heavy duty, medium duty? And then we applied some adoption rates to our service territory based on numerous factors. And so what, what we're seeing is, you know, um, by 2035, we're, we're not, we're going to be undershooting the federal target is what we think. And um, so we, we aren't going to have many electric vehicles to begin with by 2035. So then we looked at, okay, what would be the impact of those electric vehicles to 2035 and even beyond? Um, how's that going to impact our, you know, what we're mainly concerned about is our residential underground networks, the wires that connect from the transformers to your home. Um, how are those going to fare? Are they going to get overloaded or are you going to see power quality issues? And so we commissioned a study where we um, basically built virtual models of, of residential uh, neighborhoods. And then we um, added EV charging loads on top of the normal house, house loads. And what we saw was that, you know, there is some system impacts and there are going to be some costs um, related to um, upgrading certain parts of the underground residential secondary networks. But, um, you know, we were surprised to see that the system largely holds up. So we're, we're really excited to to know that and and see those results in the study that we did. So on that, you're, you're saying that, you know, even if there's this by 2035, the amount of people like let's say it triples or something like that by then the grid. Cause I've just been under the impression that there's certain areas, like I know California, for example, where there's lots of EVs uh, there's apps and that can tell you when the grid is least kind of busy and Loaded. give you, give you the best time to charge. So do you think that's something that Albertans are even going to have to think about by 2035 or is that more far down the line? Yeah. And you know, Part of this exercise, this looking into what the future may hold for us, is also thinking about what type of solutions we can apply to mitigate this from even happening. Maybe we don't need to apply those upgrades. So we're looking into things like demand-side management, like smart EV charging, like behavioral things like educating the customers that, hey, you don't need to charge your electric vehicle between the hours of you know 5 p.m. and 9 p.m. when residential circuits are actually the most loaded. And so, you know, we think that um, some combination of applying all these solutions will help us, you know, defer the capital investments that will be required to upgrade the grid. Um, and, you know, when you talk about places like uh, like California, you know, every electricity system is different. So it's, it's hard to take what's happening there and saying, oh, it'll happen here. One thing I, I do want to say about electric grids is that 
since they were created, they've always been growing. If you look at homes that were built, you know, in the early days, they had very small electrical panels because people didn't, you know, have many electrical devices. And then you saw, you know, the introduction of electric furnaces and air conditioners. And then all of a sudden we have 60 amp panels in the 50s and 60s. And then by the 70s and 80s, we have 100 amp panels become commonplace. And now today you see 100 amp and even 200 amp is becoming more common. So, you know, our electricity demand has always grown with our, you know, our quality of life and technological advances. And so, you know, in in some ways, electric vehicles are just more of the same, but they do represent a step change in how electricity is consumed in both, you know, magnitude and duration. You know, an electric vehicle, if it's fully depleted, can charge for quite a long time at, a, you know, significant magnitude of electricity. So, so we do have to think about that. And that's, that's when, you know, the demand side management, the customer education and all those things I was talking about earlier kind of come into play. And I've also anecdotally heard that I keep saying that I've heard, I've heard, but we've just talked to so many people on this podcast. And so I, I understand that some of the cars, you can even set them up to charge during certain times. So I do think it's going to be a combination of, you know, companies like Echo educating the customers and also just people kind of figuring it out on their own that they don't have to plug in at 5 p.m. Yeah. And, and some jurisdictions, um, I'm going to single out Ontario here, they have uh, time of use rates. So, you know, it's more expensive to charge between, you know, the hours of this time and that time. And so that helps uh, shift the load to a time when the grid is less heavily loaded by others. And so, you know, strategies like that, uh, I think, fall under the behavioral solutions category. And those you can apply, and that helps also. Echo Electric Distribution has trialed a time of use rate with our own employees to help help us better understand um, what the benefit would be and how um, how easy it would be to comply with the time of use rates. And um, you know, we found some interesting things. I think I think EV charging is really the game changer there that that is going to make a time of use rate make people follow a time of use rate. I guess is the best way of putting it. Yeah, definitely. I think that even like if I could know that it would be cheaper to even run my dryer at a certain time, I might be doing my laundry later or something like that. You know, I think people like saving money when they can. Well, that's what we found is that, you know, and I think this is uh, largely what happens with time of use rates is that the things that people want to do in their home, like do the dishes or cook dinner, those are inflexible. They just do them when they want to. So they don't, they don't even really care about the cost. They're like, Oh, so what? It cost me 20 extra cents, whatever. But when it comes to EV charging, it is the most controllable load. And it's also the biggest load. So it, it's kind of like the golden child of a time of use rate. So that's why it's really exciting because, you know, once your vehicle's parked, let's say you got home tonight at, let's call it 5 PM. Um, you don't need to leave till about 7 AM. So you have like such a wide you know, time window where you can recharge your car. And that's, that's really what makes the time of use rate great if you're an EV owner. Yeah. I mean, I think those were all my kind of specific questions, but was there anything else that you maybe wanted to touch on? Um, anything interesting ACO has going that maybe we didn't talk about? Yeah, a few, a few things. So I'm also on the board of the Electric Vehicle Association of Alberta. And, you know, when we get this um, grid resiliency question or can the grid handle all these electric vehicles coming, you know, I like to challenge people, you know, when you bought your last gas vehicle, did you investigate the global 
adequacy of supply of gasoline or diesel for the vehicle that you purchase? And the answer is, you know, it's probably no. So I don't necessarily understand why there is this concern with um, can the grid handle it? You know, I kind of say it's not your problem. And, you know, just buy the vehicle and the smart people will figure it out because you know what? 20, 30 years ago, uh, there was an, an oil crisis, an energy crisis, and society got through it. And, you know, the, the amount of demand on petrochemicals has always grown, and the industry has matched managed to match that demand. And same with electricity. And I think, you know, there are smart people working on this problem, and they will continue to be able to solve it. Mm-hmm. I do have one last question. It's just a fun question we like to ask um, everyone. Is there, what are you most excited about when you think about the future of transportation? Our ACO office um, in, in Edmonton is, is in downtown Edmonton on 105th Street in Jasper Ave. Whenever I go for a walk or I'm walking back to my car um, or I'm going for lunch, I can't help but notice how noisy it is. And so one of the things I'm most excited for is, you know, that day where 10 minutes have gone by in my walk and I've noticed that I'm only hearing the road noise and I'm, that's because all the vehicles that pass me by are electric and I can't wait for that day to happen. Yeah. It seems like a very futuristic concept, but I mean, it seems like it will happen. It's happening. I hope you enjoyed our conversation with William York, Senior Engineer at ATCO. And now I'm joined by John Epler, an Albertan who has owned an EV for quite a bit of time. And again, he when he bought his EV, he did not have an at-home charging system and relied heavily on public chargers. And then he had one installed. So he'll be sharing a little bit about his experience going from one scenario to the other. Hi, John. Hi there. Thank you so much for joining me on the EV Life podcast. So I can you just tell us how long you've owned an EV? Sure thing. So actually, yeah, I've had an EV for about a year. I ordered it last February and actually picked it up last July. So re- literally just about a year now. Nice. Uh, it's a Ford Mach-E uh, California Route 1. Okay. So I'm just trying to understand what made you... Well, one, what made you decide to buy an EV? And then what made you decide to buy this specific EV? Yeah, so uh, we've been looking to replace one of our vehicles. It was getting pretty old. And uh, I've always found EVs extremely interesting, both for the technology, but also, honestly, for the environmental benefits. And I did my research. I'm the kind of person who does a lot of research anytime I'm making a big ticket purchase. Smart. And this one, (laughs) yeah, this one specifically had really good range. And the cost was definitely within our budget. So yeah, it just seemed like a logical purchase. I went test drove a few and I just fell in love with this one. Nice. And so sorry, you said you placed the order in February and then you picked it up in July? In July, correct. Yes. So just a few months wait. Were you, was that long at the time? I know people have had to wait quite longer. So was that kind of what Mm -hmm. you expected? Yeah, I mean, at the time I was told I would to expect about four to six months just based on supply levels and you no know, COVID had still caused some manufacturing delays in general. Mm-hmm. So July was about when I was expecting to get it for sure. Nice. So 
as I understand, when you purchased your EV, you didn't have an at-home charging system installed yet. So we're, like, did this raise any concerns for you? Oh, absolutely. I mean, one of the things I made sure to research as well was just how I was going to get the EV charged. I mean, they all do come with the ability to charge off a standard outlet. That takes forever. So that wasn't yeah. really an option we wanted to lean on too heavily. But we do live fairly close to a uh, charging station that you know has both the fast charger and the slower charger option. So that plus uh, the office building I work in has a charger there as well. I felt probably going to be in pretty okay shape to at least make sure I could keep the EV charged and drive it on a semi-regular basis. So. so you kind of knew ahead of time that you did have access to chargers that were close to home and close to work, but where did you charge predominantly? Uh, predominantly, there was a flow charging station outside of a Canadian tire on the south side of Sherwood Park, and that was the one I went to fairly regularly. Uh, you know, it was fortunately very rarely in use. There was a couple of times where I show up, somebody would be currently charging, one time I showed up and they were actually repaving the entire parking lot. So oh, I, couldn't, no. <laughs> I couldn't charge her. So that was the time I made a drive all the way to South Common, which is not a super long drive. But when you're getting a little bit anxious about your EV's charge level, definitely add a little bit of stress. But, you know, once that that construction was done, uh, it was much easier. And now there's more charging stations available nearby as well. Did you ever have any close calls? Were you ever like, oh gosh, I don't know if I'm going to make it to a charger in time? That specific instance I just talked about, I think I was sitting at about 10% battery life, which is still not terrible, but 10% and then you get there and you really hope that nobody is, because sometimes people would park at the EVs right. even if they didn't have EVs. So you just really hope that you get there and one of the chargers is open. Yeah. So did you know ahead of time that you would eventually install a charger um, at your house or were you kind of just playing it by ear, waiting to see how it worked out with the public uh, chargers or you kind of always knew that you would install one eventually? Yeah, I always knew that I wanted to get one installed in the home, partially because I was also looking to get uh, solar panels installed. So through the same company that did that, I was hoping I'd get a charger solar panels. And then for the summer, at least, it's basically like I get to drive the car for free, which to me was very appealing um, yeah. to have that opportunity. And, and you know, and again, for the environmental benefits, feeling like I was driving something that was very clean. And just quickly, what was the process like for getting um, your charger installed at home? Was it quite easy? Yeah. So I went, I got quotes from a few different companies and they were fairly wide in, in range. And just unfortunately, because of the way my house is constructed, it was always going to require some additional work that, you know, with some concrete boring. But uh, I was able to get the charger through, the again, the same company I did the uh, solar panels with, and then kind of wrap that into that whole package. So it wasn't super difficult. Uh, they did all the, they handled all the permitting, handled all the paperwork. I just had to sign off on a couple of things. And otherwise, they did everything for me, which was really nice. It was seamless. And how long, about how long did it take? I know you were getting a little bit more done because you were also getting the solar panels installed. So that, you know, probably made it a little bit of a longer process, but how long did it take? Uh, actually, by the, when I said I wanted to get it done, it only took a couple of weeks to get it done since they did that back in the winter and they didn't install solar until uh, spring. So they did it as two separate things. And yeah, it only took a couple of weeks once I confirmed I wanted to get it done. Oh, not bad. So now that you have your at-home charging station, do you charge primarily at home or are you also utilizing public chargers still? I almost exclusively charge at home. That said, if I'm going to you know, a mall or somewhere where I'm going to be spending 
longer periods of time, I still do use those public charging stations. I just don't make discrete trips to a charger anymore like I did before. So now it's more a matter of if it's a convenience thing, there's a charger available, I'll take it. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, I tend to just wait till I get home at night and charge then. And as someone who's used the public chargers, you know, quite often before you were able to get one installed at home, how reliable did you find them? <laughs> well, some of them are very reliable. The, the thing with the charging is that there's about three or four different providers and they each have their own apps. They have their own networks. Mm-hmm. Some of them were super reliable. I found the flow to be very easy. It always worked. I have a card that I got from them that I can just use. There were other ones, and I don't recall the names, that were a little bit more less reliable. I'd have apps I need to reinstall two or three times before they'd actually recognize it. Plus, Ford has their own um, charging network and charging app, and some of them work seamlessly with it, and some of them required a little bit more uh, finagling. Right. Um, I mean, luckily, I'm someone who's fairly tech-savvy, but it's definitely probably the biggest, uh, I think, obstacle for a lot of people is when you when you go to a gas station, you pull the, you know, you take the take it off the pump, you can fill up. With a charger, sometimes it's a little bit more complicated than that. But the flip side is if I go to West Edmonton Mall to go see a movie with my kid or something, I can put it on the charger and just leave it while I go in. And when I come out, I'll have more range than I did before, which is very convenient. Yeah. So pros and cons. (laughs) Yes, exactly. So my last question, because this is something that I think people who are considering getting an EV wonder about a lot. Was there a huge increase to your utility utilities bills once you started charging at home? No, actually not really. Um, I mean, it does take, it It obviously takes, you know, electricity and a, a decent amount, but I haven't found the bills to actually have gone up tremendously and especially not since we got solar. But even before that, it was maybe a 10% increase. That said, I also have two kids. We live in a house with, um, you know, especially in the summer, we have an air conditioner. So it's not like our power bill is very low as it is, right? but it, it was kind of a drop in the bucket compared to everything else as well. And I will say for myself, compared to what I spend or compared to what my uh, spouse spends on gas every couple of weeks, it's still less than that. It's still right. a lower cost than that. Well, John, thank you so much for sharing your experience with us. This was such a great conversation. Well, thank you so much for having me. I hope you enjoyed our conversation with William and John in this episode of the EV Life podcast. As always, make sure that you subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode. And we'll have another one out next Monday. So make sure you tune in. And again, if you want to join the conversation, don't forget to join our EV Life community on the AMA mobile app. Talk to you next week.